Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Take your Bible. Let's uh, look at Genesis chapter 5. I've entitled the message today, A Graveyard Walk. Graveyard Walk. Used to be a day, you know, when churches, and I always thought it strange in my early years, but now in latter years, I think it's kind of a good thing where, where a church would be nestled on a hill and uh, there'd be a church cemetery right there. I thought, like, ah, who wants to see that? In our day, where we don't, we never talk about death, we kind of dress it up and move it away and, and make it a pretty. Death is not a pretty thing, you know. And uh, what I, the older I get, the more wonderful I think. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great to have um, uh, such a church with a graveyard there and the saints that have gone on before, buried there, and previous pastors and generations and... It's a reminder, you know, it's a re- we need that reminder that life is fading, life is but a vapor, and death is a long time, and eternity is a long time. And to go to Sunday school, go to church, and to see the tombstones there, and uh, that's, uh, you know, that, that produces wisdom. You know, it helps us to think. Some of the great old professors and scholars of middle age used to, used to keep a skeleton on their desk to remind them that uh, life is short and eternity is long and death is certain. And that's not bad. Graveyard walk. That's what I've entitled today. You know, this past week, uh, New York said goodbye to one of the renowned residents, whether, whether he lived in the city or not. And of late, I don't know, but George Steinbrenner. Uh, George Steinbrenner uh, breathed his last and he died. He was 80 years old. He was uh, greatly loved and feared, I might add, uh, as far as I can tell, in New York City. He was a man not to be fooled around with. I mean, he got it done, right? I mean, the owner of the New York Yankees, and all they wanted was championships. George brought championships to New York, did it in his way. The building of that new Yankee stadium. Some of you are into baseball. Some of you hate the Yankees, right? I grew up loving Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris and Whitey Ford and Yogi Berra and some of those guys. Uh, he lived, he breathed, he got it done, and he died. He was a wealthy man, multimillionaire, many, many times over. He, prior to the Yankees, made us money, I'm told, by being a, a ship, a shipping mag, magnet of some sort. He owned a shipping line or something and made his money and bought the Yankees. And wow, wow. Well, when he died, he left everything behind, didn't he? Everything. Didn't take even his checkbook. Probably had a nice suit on, laid out in that casket. I think they buried him yesterday or, or maybe Friday, from what I read. It didn't take any bank accounts, no stocks. No tickets to a future Yankees game. Nothing tucked in his shirt. And if it did, it's worthless now, right? Just worse. He left it all behind. It's a reminder. Someday everything we have will be taken from us. Or we will be taken from it. And so wise man, a wise woman that lives in light of that reality. 
with heaven in view. George left it all behind, 80 years old, and he died. Yet when, uh, when we come to Genesis chapter 5, as we've been doing this little summer series on different things, but Genesis is what we've been looking at, Genesis chapter 5 is a graveyard. I don't know if you ever thought about it that way. It's a cemetery. It's a cemetery for the godly. So it might be like a little cemetery behind a little white church. Uh, God has included this uh, list of uh, a godly line uh, here in this chapter. And uh, it seems to be God's final and complete answer to Satan's insidious lie. Remember that in Genesis 3 when he tempted Eve? God said, we're not, supposed to, we're not supposed to eat of that tree nor touch it. I think Adam probably said, don't even get near it, you know. Don't, don't eat it, don't touch it. We, don't, we never find that recorded in the Word, don't touch it. But, and what did Satan say? You shall not surely die, the evil one. You shall not die. And that was chapter 3. And now just two chapters later, God's final word on Satan's insidious lie we discover in Genesis chapter, chapter 5 that eight times, eight times, what redundancy in this, eight times it says, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. What was that say? And he died. Wow. I think I, I'm, I'm getting the message here. You know, you eat of that tree, you'll die indeed, and your progeny will die as well. Genesis chapter 5 teaches that. Uh, teaches that with clarity. Uh, Martin Luther, a man who endured hard times himself from evil men, remember his life, some of you know it, but was hanging in the balances. They tried to find him and kill him. He was hiding out in a, in a church for a lot of years. And uh, he wrote this about uh, the list of men in this Genesis 5. He said, and I quote on your sheet, we must not think of these as ordinary names of plain people. Rather, they were the most outstanding heroes this world ever produced. And he continued to write, On the last days we shall behold and admire their grandeur. For these men, these were men that stood for God in an increasing dark day. They were, they were really, really men of God. Take, let's, let's look at Genesis 5. don't know if I'll read the whole chapter, but uh, let's, let's pick up verse 1. This is the, the, the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and when they were created, he called them man. Oh, incidentally, you may not know that, but uh, in a day of, of uh, folks that use hyphenated names, you say, well, what, what's it really matter? <clears throat> you should know from this verse where God calls Adam and Eve by the man's name, Culturally, historically, that's where we get the idea where a woman takes her husband's name. It comes right from, from that. You say, well, where did that come from? Right there. I mean, it doesn't say thou shall not have a hyphenated name, but uh, in a day of sort of a, a cultural rebelliousness, uh, we, we discover here that God called them what? He called them Adam. He called them by Adam's name. That's where that comes from. And when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. We saw that last week. And after Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years. And these are real years. A year is always a year in the Hebrew and the Old Testament. They're not funny numbers. This is some sort of accounting scam. 
the real years, real numbers. He lived 800 real years. So genetically powerful, coming from the hand of God, made to live forever. And he had other sons and daughters. And I guess, of course, we saw that last, was Cain married one of them. And although Adam lived 930 years, then he died. There's the first time. Then he died. And when Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enos. After he became the father of Enos, Seth lived 807 years. And then other sons and daughters. And altogether, Seth lived 912 years. And then he died. There it is again. Enos lived 90 years and became the father of Kenan. After he became the father of Kenan, Enos lived 815 years. Had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enos lived 905 years and he died. When Kenan lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahaliel. After he became the father of Mahaliel, Kenan lived 840 years and other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived 910 years and then he died. When Mahaliel lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. And after he became the father of Jared, Mahaliel lived 830 years, sons and daughters, 895. He died. You see what I mean by that? It's God's final word on Satan's life. When Jared lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. And after he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years, had other sons and daughters, and Altogether, Jared lived 962 years, and then he died. Enoch, the great exception here, we'll talk about later, he had lived 65 years, became the father of Methuselah. Incidentally, Methuselah's name means that when he dies, judgment will fall. That's a funny name, right? Imagine that in English. Hey, when he dies, judgment will, will fall, time for lunch. That's what it meant, to conjure that up in the ears of those who, who understand the, the, the language of that day. And you know, it's a, it's a sign of Methuselah, the oldest recorded man uh, living in the Bible. It's a statement of God's forbearance and long-suffering that uh, when uh, he finally died, judgment fell in the flood. But he lived the longest, at least recorded, shows the long-suffering of God. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years at other sons and daughters, verse 23, although altogether Enoch lived 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and, there, and he was no more because God took him away. And then verse 25, Methuselah lived uh, 187 years, became the father of Lamech. And after he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and sons and daughters, 969 years, there it is. He was the longest recorded man in the Scripture. And then he died. And when Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. Named him Noah. He will comfort us in his labor and painful toil. Our hands caused by the ground the Lord cursed. And Noah was born. And he had sons. Well, there are four observations as uh, we walk through this graveyard, and it noticed that, uh, and he died. Motivating us, these four observations ought to motivate us uh, to, uh, to, to be godly. To realize that we're building the, uh, the book of our life, the way we live, and, and that story is being written. The, the tombstones are clear. They were born, they lived, and they died. They were born... They lived, and in the text they had sons. It indicates the first son, 
and then they died. They're looking at tombstones. You ever do that? Great place for a boy to find snakes and toads on the early Saturday morning. The dew heavy there. Nobody going in there much, and you do find snakes, gardener snakes and all that around the stones. They don't care for much what's in there, you know, and, and toads. I used to, it used to be a gold mine for me when I was eight years old to do that. Um, all these tombstones. They lived, they were born, they lived, and they died. You know your life is a, is, a, is, a, uh, is a dash? Did you know that? A hyphen? It is. You're born, a hyphen, and then they died, right? Yeah, some, I know some of your hyphens are longer, some of them are shorter, but they're a hyphen, they're a hyphen. That's what it is. Your life's a vapor. It's a wise man or woman that sees that and builds her life accordingly. A hyphen, that's what you are. And you know, the longer you're gone, the less people remember. Even great men and women are renowned. They don't remember. It's really rare. I saw that even this week as on my laptop or on my desk computer, I have the CNN headline, and I'll hit that and see what's, what's percolating. And I hit that little CNN headline, and there it is. George Steinbrunner died. He's the top. You know, and you read the story, and, and then about two hours later, just click it again, see what's happening. And George is still at top. But by lunch, he had already dropped down three places. He was fading. And that old soldier's, uh, you know, they don't die. They fade. He's fading. And by the end, by, by today, he's not even on there. He's gone. And the, the longer you're gone, you know, when you're first gone, and, and we're talking men of renown, men, women of renown, they write volumes, Right? And every day and every year you're going to get shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. And then most don't even remember you. That's the way it is. That's the way, way it is. They were born, they lived, and they died. Well, what's the first observation we can make as we walk through this, uh, this cemetery, uh, this godly cemetery, really, of Genesis chapter 5? First observation is God is more, con- uh, more interested in people than we are. God is far more interested in people than you and I are. You know, most people, when they come to genealogies in the Bible, and there's some chapters that that's all they are. They're filled with They skip them. Oh, I don't know these people. You know, I can't say their names. They're not English. They're different names. I skip them. Just skip them. Or are they boring? Boring. Can you hear the kids? Boring. They're boring. I'll be honest. Sometimes you skip them, right? Don't look so holy. You say, I never do that. I always read it. I look up their story. Yeah, you're right. Look, the point here is God is more interested in people than we are. We had written this chapter. We probably would have left these names out, right? We would have just left them right out. You, look, the connection between God and man is the link of persons. They're people, God's persons, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Persons, that's the linkage. God has uh, made us in his likeness, in his image. It means that we're, we're, we have personality, not in the way we say it. You know, if someone is vivacious, we say, oh, they have personality, right? We know what we mean by that. But that, that, that's a part of being a person. But it means that, that you function as a person like God. That means that you have intellect, and rationality. You, know, you can think, man the thinker. I've been working on some thoughts on certain man. You know, you live in the, the realm of your mind. You know that? That's where you live. 
Some of you are lost in thought. You wonder why you're lost in life, you know. <laughs> we live in our thoughts. We do. I think, therefore, I am, somebody said, right? Well, it, not quite the way he meant it, but uh, we do. And then we live those thoughts out. Our brain is an incredible thing. We're, we're rational, but we, we make choices, true choices. Am I going to have Wheaties today or uh, Captain Crunch? You know, some of you had to make decisions. Maybe I'll skip. I'll eat an extra big lunch. You know, we make decisions all day, great and small. Should I wear socks this morning? You know, that kind of thing. Should I put deodorant on? Appreciate you doing that. You know, and these kind of things. And we make a thousand choices. Some more important, most of them mundane, but we make true choices. We're not instinctively driven like, like God has created the animal world. You're not an animal. You're a person. There's a huge difference. I learned in biology class that man's a... Uh, an animal. Well, we classify and we can talk about things in, in a reasonable way, but uh, there's a huge gap between all other animals in, in men and women. We're made in God's likeness. We may share the same environment where we are warm-blooded and uh, we breathe the same air and our bodies may have anatomically some similarity to live within the same habitat, but uh, you have a soul. And you're a person. You're a person. You're not junk, you're not an idea, and you're not nothing. You're a person, you're a people. You are. And it makes you more valuable than anything around that's never breathed or lived. Did you know that? A lot of times we're fascinated with great empires and kingdoms. You know, oh, the great Roman Empire. You know what? That, that's gone forever, the Roman Empire. That's gone forever. But the people there... They're still in existence. They're in heaven or they're in hell. They're far more valuable, far more precious than, than kingdoms and things and all of that. And God's far more interested in people than we are. We, I don't know these people here. I don't know them. Wow. Well, in Scripture, on number two, there's, there are whole chapters. I said they're right, devoted to long genealogy, most of whom we know nothing about. I often thought, wouldn't it be great to have your name included in the Bible? Wouldn't that be something? Some of you have biblical names. We named our children Sarah, Dave, and Jonathan. Uh, and my name's in the Bible. Did you know that? You ever read it? And they tarried? Terry, I'll take that. That's close. Well, it doesn't count, but it sounds similar. But, uh, you know, we, we may not know their names, and we may not know who they are, but God knows every one of them, every single one of them. All of them. Isn't that amazing? God is far more interested in people than we are. Well, this, this ought to really encourage us. It ought to encourage us because uh, uh, just as the people here in Genesis 5, you and I are equally known and remembered by God who never forgets anything and knows everything about us. And God knows all about you, all about me. The reality is the world may not give a hoot about you, could care less about you, wish you were not even in existence, but God knows. You're not junk, you're not anything, you're priceless. You are, you're made in God's image, and, and just as your fingerprints and your retina and all that are you, and there's no one like you. And God knows what he's doing, that you and I should live at the same juncture in human history. And then part of the families that were part. God didn't say, oh, I, I got them in the wrong family. 
You know, some of you think that. I got the wrong mother, wrong dad. Uh, or I got the wrong whatever. No, it's exactly according to him. God knows all about that. A couple of verses to remind you from the, the Old Testament. Let's look at Psalm 139 first. Just for, for the, uh, O Lord, you, David writes, you have searched me and therefore you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Oh, Lord, you and I are completely and utterly known. And God never forgets about that. But, you know, it's even more wonderful than that. Did you, and let's look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. You ever see this verse? Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard, and a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. God is in heaven. He's got some scribes up there writing everything about you and me. I mean, it's a very graphic, picturesque, wonderful way of showing the omniscient God never forgets anything. When you and I stand before him and the books are open and, uh, and God evaluates your life and, and mine, you'll never say, no, you got the wrong John. I know a lot of people confused us in years. So you got the wrong guy. No, it'll be exactly right. No, I know you. You won't correct God, believe me. And uh, he'll know all about you. All of, and you'll never be forgotten. Isn't that one? That's so encouraging. In a world that takes little notice, little care, little thought about the we little people, which all of us are, and even men of renown are like Steinbrenner, who are utterly forgotten, but for maybe a footnote in history as time goes on, God never forgets. And though we don't know much about these people, God has never forgotten them. They are great heroes of the faith. They're pillars, glorious, wonderful men, men and women, heroes of the faith. Well, the first observation we can make is God is far more interested in people than we are as we wake our, wake our way glancing at these tombstones in Genesis 5. Look, what's the second observation? And it says God has always had his few. God has always had his few. If many do not love and serve the Lord, at least there are some who do. And I hope that includes you. I hope that you've come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A most important decision to make in all of life. Very, very important difference between heaven and hell. There are only two places. You don't go to nothingness. You go either to heaven or hell based on the finished work of Jesus. It's not a matter of being good. You can't be good enough. You're not perfect. You're a sinner. We're born in sin. I'm a sinner. Christ died to pay for sin. Your price, your sin. If you don't have that, you must receive him as Lord and Savior. If you do that, you're part of the few we're talking about. These are the few. Now, A, a quick glance at the genealogies found in Genesis 4 and 5, chapter 4, verse 17 and following, that, that uh, we saw last week, the ungodly line and the, uh, the Canaanic mindset in that city. When you look at that and then you come into Genesis 5, a quick look, they reveal a lot of similarities. People live, they did some stuff, they had children, then they died, Right? But don't get the idea that there's the same number in each group. There aren't. Even though it's a little thumb sketch there of Cain and his family, they were enormous uh, by comparison to the few. 
of, uh, of, God's, uh, of God's family through Seth, tracing the lineage uh, down uh, through the ages. Uh, it was, uh, uh, Genesis 4 tells us this was a period of rapid decline, that when uh, most, uh, most of them went the way of Cain, it was morally downhill for most of humanity. Genesis uh, 6.11 gives us the, the final commentary on that day, and we have that Genesis 6.11 on, uh, on, on the text uh, on the screen. Now the earth was corrupt, and in God's sight was full of violence, and, uh, and that was uh, not many years hence from that, and, uh, and number two, the, this is evident for that there were only a few. They were not an equal number. For when Noah's flood came, there were millions of people living on the face of the earth with longevity of life and extremely fruitful and had many, many children, many, many generations, many years. So when you come to Genesis chapter 6, there were only eight, eight people. Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives, only eight were regenerate. We're talking about the few. The few. But God has always had his few. And be encouraged by that. God knows what he's doing, but he's always only eight. I mean, it's almost startling. You read Genesis 7, 13, check that later. Only eight were saved. This, this flood was universal. It's not just a, a little, little bit of a flood. It covered the entire world. And uh, Elijah, years later, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, one of the greatest, maybe John the Baptist the greatest, but he imagined himself uh, that he was the only one left, the only one left, years later. And I love that uh, text in uh, 1 Kings 19.10. Let's, let's look at that. And then verse 18, I mean, he's discouraged. The wicked queen uh, Jezebel, she's after him. He runs, he hides after. And this is a great spiritual victory at Carmel. And God approaches him and, uh, and says, is that First Kings? Oh, it should be 18. Did I put, or 1910? I'm, yes, there, that's it. He replied, and the Lord approaches him and says, what are you doing here? I love that. What are you doing here? Sounds like my father saying to me, what are you doing the Lord uh, uh, approaches him, what are you doing here? And then here's, here's, here's Elijah's word. Well, he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. That's the multitude. Broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. And here it is. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. And we have verse, uh, verse 18. Is that also on there? Yeah. And, and God's answer, wait a minute, I have 7,000. There's 7,000 yet in Israel not, uh, that have not bowed the knee to Baal. See, if, if he felt like he was the only one left. Uh, the point of it is, is God has always had his few. Always, always his few. Today, as uh, you love and serve the Lord, God, you too may be, feel overwhelmed by godless people and godless culture. And so it's, sometimes it's overwhelming. It is. I understand that very, very well. Don't be discouraged. It's always been this way. It's always. It's like the Marines. I, I mean, if you were thinking of the military, and apology to some of you who were in the Army and, and whatever else, not that you need an apology, Navy, Air Force, but the few and the proud. 
right? The few and the proud. That really, uh, you know, it captivates a young man. Wow, yeah, I could, yeah, maybe I could be one, right? Well, not the proud here. And it's the few, but it's the humble. You realize that Christ has done it all. And uh, so on. It's, uh, it's the long line through the blood of, of, of Christ. And before the Old Testament, before the cross, and then after. I saw on the History Channel couple of years ago, they had this whole thing on West Point. They called it the Long Gray Line. You know, the cadets wear gray up there at West Point. Quite a, quite a fascinating uh, thing of West Point, the academics and the academy and all that they do. And the Long Gray Line of all these uh, men and now men and women have gone through West Point and received their military training. Long Gray Line. I thought of that. That's what, that's what the redeemed are. It's the Long Line of the redeemed. It might and it may not be the great, vast multitudes, it's the few and the humble. God has always had his people, always, and even here in this day. Well, there's a third lesson that we see as we walk through this graveyard, that God often uses the family to call people to himself. I mean, the family. Uh, it's messy at times, isn't it, family? Some of you would say, amen on that, boy, oh boy. <laughs> But it's the best thing going, and it's God's idea. Man didn't grunt, groan, grab the woman and yank her out, and you, you, my wife, and this kind of nonsense. No, God designed the family. It's his idea. It's the oldest institution of God. Uh, and uh, it can be a blessing, and it could be otherwise. But God has designed uh, the family oftentimes, not always. Maybe you're the exception. Maybe you're the first one that, is, that as far as you know, you've been redeemed in your family. And that's a wonderful thing. But uh, oftentimes families are used by God for the passing down of the, of the wonder, the treasure of the gospel uh, from mother and father, uh, grandparents to children and grandchildren and whatnot. And that's what we have here in Genesis uh, chapter 5. There, there are 10 men and their families uh, by listing the men that, that are listed here. And they're all part of the same line, the same family tree through Seth down through the ages. I have them on your sheet here, Adam, Seth, Enos, Kenan, Mahaliel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. They're, they're all related, father to son, father, all the way down uh, to the time of Noah. God, one, frequently uses the family to pass on his truth. Frequently does it. God loves the family. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I, I don't think we have that uh, on there. Look, look. Look, look at that nearby. Just turn quickly to Deuteronomy 6. I remind you of the Shema passage there uh, in 6.6. 6, the Lord, hear, O Israel, uh, be, uh, be careful uh, to obey. In verse 3, be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God promised you. And here's the Shema, verse 4. Here, the, word, the Hebrew word Shema, that's he, it means here, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Notice what he says about the, this wonderful gold nugget of truth. These commandments that I give you today are be upon your heart. Now notice the place of the family. Seven, impress them upon your children. There it is. There's the... There, there's the movement of God's work through family. Impress them. Uh, talk about them. What do you mean? Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, you're driving down 83, when you lie down at night, when you when, tie them on. I mean, put little things around your house that 
Remind them of the truth of the Scriptures. Pass these things on to your children. And, uh, and, he, and, he, and, and look at verse 20. In the, in the future, when your son asks you, what's the meaning of all this? You tell him. Well, that's uh, God's plan and program. Often to use the family to impress them. Uh, these, tr- these truths upon uh, your children. Uh, and it's serious business. I remember Don Vogel, one of my early interns, was a missionary in Italy, married, and now he's a pastor back in the States. Uh, his dad uh, had the right vision. My dad was not saved, and so he didn't, didn't have this thing. But he said to me one day when, when he was in the car as maybe a 12-year-old with his buddy, and his dad, his name was Fred, Fred Vogel, dropped, uh, they were after a ball game dropping uh, Donnie's uh, friend off at the house. His friend jumped out of the car, thanks for the ride, Mr. Vogel, and and they draw, he said, I looked at my father after the son got out, and my dad looked at me and said, maybe, Don, God will save him. Wouldn't that be so great? And I looked at my dad, and, and I began to understand uh, that's really what's important in life. I began to, wow, I never thought about it. My friend's lost here. And my dad had the right view and planted deep within me the need of his need of the gospel and the things that are spiritual and true and precious. And I began to catch the vision of, of really what is important in life from my father. And dad, I'm, I'm reminded you're the key player in this thing. You really are. You carry the big stick, not Teddy Roosevelt style, but you really are. And uh, if you mess up with this thing, better to tell you, okay, look, I'm not a believer. You're going to straddle the world, not live for Christ, because you'll mess them up. Your, your kids are better off if you just live like a pagan. And just, uh, they'll figure out you're not saved. And, uh, but uh, say you're saved, but don't live for Christ. Don't be surprised in a few years when they're on their own. In just a few years, they'll be gone. And they'll have no interest in things of Christ. So pray with them. Teach them. Press these things upon them. More than just be good and do good grades and provide for them, and, and we do those, and those things are important in their place, uh, these other things are more important. So be careful about that. God uses the family. Look at number two. This, there's one huge ex- exception. That's Enoch. He never died. So when we're walking through the cemetery, there's one, uh, one uh, uh, monument or tombstone that only has a birth date on it. It has a long line of a hyphen there. Enoch is a picture, of course, of uh, the rapture of the, that's coming when the translation takes place and the dead in Christ will rise. And those of us who are alive and remain, First Thessalonians 4, shall be snatched up together with them in the air. Go without dying. That's the blessed hope. There'll be a, there will be a, a group of people on earth alive when the Lord comes and who will not die. Won't that be something? And Enoch is a picture of that. In Hebrews 11.5, if you need another reference, write that down. It says that he walked with God. God took him home by faith. It's a wonderful example. What a, what a, what a picture. Walk through there, see a birth date, but no death date. Wow. Now, you see that today, don't you, when you go there and, and, and a loving spouse will die, and, but they'll buy a couple plots, and they'll put William on there and William's birth date, but there's no death date because he's still waiting. Maybe down in Florida. You know, they call Florida heaven's waiting room down there. <laughs> if you didn't know it, they have the oldest average age in all the state. You know what the second state with the oldest age is? Pennsylvania. You know that, don't you? Yeah, you go. Wow. All right. Well, Seth, 
Seth is said here to be in the image and likeness of his father. Chapter 5, verse 3. Probably means that Seth followed the lead of his father Abraham in worship. He followed his dad. In any event, let me say it one more time, Dad. You're the key player. Love the Lord, live for him. And your children never get over it. Never. Never. They know us for what's really important in our life. They do. It's not so much what we say, Dad, too. It's what we do and how we live. That's, that screams. You know, your talk talks, but your walk talks, and your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Ever hear that? I love that little thing. Little thing but it's, it really shouts with truth, doesn't it? Be careful about it. If you don't, don't be surprised. Your kids could have very much a hard heart against Christ. I've talked to them. And they may come to Christ and God's mercy after you're dead. But not families. Well, God often uses family to call people to himself. I see it in faith, these families. What a godly heritage there. You know, we don't know back many generations. You say, I wish you knew. No, you don't. You find out who's in jail and all the rest in your family. You wouldn't want to know that. Well, you only know a few generations, most of us. But families, faith, uh, what a godly family. Pastors, missionaries. I really married up when I married into that family. Her, her uh, grandmother and her father and, and brother and sister, and now we see it passed on to our children by God's grace. Praise God. God often uses the family as this little bit of an incubation tube there to produce a godly seed. Not always, but often. There's the fourth and final observation. God is faithful. Can't walk through the cemetery in Genesis without seeing God's faithful to do His Word. He's faithful. He said that uh, in the day you eat of it, you'll die. It wasn't up for grabs. It wasn't shooting craps. It wasn't, I think this is going to happen. No, you will die. And Adam began to die. And in chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 5, verse 5, there's the date. He died physically on that, in that verse on that day, 930 years. He died. God is faithful for good and bad, for good and otherwise. God's Word. You can always count on it. He is utterly and always dependable. The Word of God. God had promised also that mankind's only hope would be found in the seed of the woman. That's Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman. The seed of the woman. You should know what that is. Theologians call that the Proto-Evangelium. The first announcement in seed form of the Gospel would be expanded from Genesis 3.15 to Abraham in Genesis 12. And, and then in Genesis 49, we would discover the narrowing where this line would be through Judah, the line of the tribe of Judah. Then it would be in 2 Samuel 7, it would be through David's line and the seed of the woman winding its way through these families when it comes to the Lord Jesus who's born in the city of David, the son of David, the seed, the deliverer. Eve thought she had that in, in, in Cain. I've gotten a man-child from the Lord in Genesis 4.1. What a disappointment. But it would be through Seth's line that Jesus would come. Wow, what a, what a thing. God's faithful to his word. He said he would do it, and he's, you can depend upon him, and he's doing it. One of the great purposes of this chapter is to trace the line from Adam to Noah as God was faithfully carrying out his promise of the deliverer even during the dark days of the flood. Well, only God's able to do that. He's able, he's able, he's able. He's omnipotent, he's almighty. Able to do that. He's dependable. In a world, in a, in a day where people don't keep their word, do they? 
oh, I didn't mean it. Oh, my fingers were crossed. Oh, I, you know, or things happen, right? We, I didn't see that coming. Can't take you here. Can't do this. Can't do that. Didn't see it coming. Economy tanked. Oh, who saw that coming? God knows all things. He, in the beginning, he's faithful. He's dependable. He always, always, always keeps his word. Jesus was the seed. Always. For good and otherwise. If you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, listen, here's the good news. God will keep his word. He'll remember that. When you close your eyes in death, absent from the body, you'll be instantly, your soul, your living person, in the presence of, uh, of God. You'll be home. Instantly. God's, you, you depend on it. But also, the reverse of that is also true. You see, if you reject him all your life, God will keep his word on that. You know what hell is? And people say, well, how can a loving God send people to hell? You know, the reality of hell is that, that people hate God and refuse to bow the knee to Jesus all their life, and God just gives them what they want. You didn't want me at all, that's what you get. That's hell. The absence of God and all that forever and ever. God gives them what they want. He gives them up. That's hell. God's, God is dependent. Well, lessons for our life. What, are, what can we say as a result of this? Number one, be encouraged, for God is very interested in you. You are not invisible to him. Sometimes we think we're invisible. You know, no one knows that I even exist. Nobody will even care if I die. What will it matter? Will anyone notice? Nobody will notice. God notices. God writes it in the book. From the least to the greatest, as man counts. Isn't that great? That really encourages me. It ought to motivate us to be godly and holy. It's a terrifying thought to, to, uh, to sinners that God knows that we live in his presence. But what an encouraging word that is to us who know him. God knows everything about you and me. Be encouraged by him. Number two, if you know Jesus as your Savior, thank him for your part of this few. Wide and broad is the way that leads to destruction, Jesus. And many are on that road. And narrow is the way, and, and few are those who are on the road that leads to eternal life. If you have been found by Christ, and that's really what it is, if you're in Christ, you're part of the few. You know, that's the important thing. Uh, there's a friend of faith whose grandfather died this week, and we'll be over in Middletown on Wednesday morning at uh, his funeral, and... Uh, uh, and, and to stand with her, Diana, she's come. Some of you ladies may know her from ladies, from the ladies' Bible study on Monday night, Diana. Um, you know, we, and you go to the funeral, and the, the most important thing is how, not how big was the bank account, how many friends, you know, how many children, all that. These, these things may be or may not be important. The thing is, was he in Christ and Christos, in Christ? In other words, that's, that's Paul's word in the epistle. Was he saved? Well, this is the most important thing. Most important thing. It doesn't matter, oh, he doesn't look very good in, in the casket. You ever hear people say, oh, how natural he looks? That's crazy. It's crazy talk. Oh, he looks so natural. No, he doesn't. Please, you know, he's as cold as a piece of furniture. In Christ. And if you know Christ, you're part of the few. Part of the few. The humble, not the proud, the few. Thank God for that. Why you, why me? <laughs> I can't figure it out. If it was me, I would have picked a whole different crew, especially not this guy. You know, I got a dump truck full of sin, and you got as much or more. <laughs> God forgives us. It's amazing. Sets us free. 
part of the few. Number three, what can we say? Your family and home should be little places of worship and of godly training. I remind you, Dad, you're the key in that. You have grandchildren, you get a second chance. That's what Swindoll says. Isn't that great? Grandchildren. You just spoil them to death, love them. Your home and family. In the Jewish home, you know, Passover wasn't celebrated. Uh, it was in the homes. It was the home. It was the family. They gather around the table and celebrate Passover. It's the home. It's all important. And it never quits. You know, our kids are all adults. It never ends. Faith and I look at each other. Oh, I'm glad for that phone call. <laughs> it never ends. Never ends, you know. Wow. That's what it ought to be. Stand there for Christ. Stand in the gap. Encourage. Always teach. Teach by your life. Number four. Number four. You can always depend on the Lord. Always. 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 He does what he promised. Always. In the day when there's so much undependability and unfaithfulness, people say, well, I thought you wanted to hear that. I didn't mean to perform that. No, God always. The day you eat out, you shall die. And they die. They live, they're born, they live, they die. And number five and last, I just wonder if, uh, if you've never believed upon Jesus, here's the, here's the truth of this message. You're not ready for the graveyard. You're not. They carry you out now, you're in deep trouble. That's not my opinion. I'm just the delivery guy. I'm delivering not the Patriot News here, but God's Word. You must believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You, that you might be saved. Well, this is a little church with a little cemetery behind it. And we're not looking for snakes and, and uh, for toads and all that kind of thing, but we're glancing at the tombstones. And see these great, uh, great lessons that come to us as we observe. God is far more interested in people than we tend to be. To our shame, really. God has always had his few. God often uses the family to call people to himself. And God is faithful to his word. May God help us. Let's stand to be dismissed with a word of prayer. Father.